Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I am joined by Tessa McKelliger all the way from Australia. Thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the pod, Tessa. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm really honoured to be on your podcast. Thank you so much, Hazel. Oh, I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you. Um, Obviously, you are one of the hosts of the Trainer Talks and Tales podcast. Uh, We had your co-host Daisy on No Such Word as Can't a few weeks ago. So yeah, I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. And thank you again for being on our podcast. Um, I love that I get to be on the other side this week. It's fun. Yeah, look at all these different ways that international zookeepers are like connecting with each other. love it so if we can chat about your podcast quickly who came up with the idea of starting it well it's actually something that we joked about for many months like oh man how fun would it be to do a podcast Mm -hmm. and uh daisy being so focused and just a real go-getter was like let's just let's do it let's make it happen and um she did and we did we were inspired by the ASFK conference and Mm -hmm. I guess that was the final nail in the coffin for us like this is it this is incredible we have to make this work and I think that was just the final push to get us really inspired and to make it happen but yeah Daisy's a real go-getter so all credit to her for really making it finally happen. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it's such a privilege, isn't it, to be able to kind of reach more people with like information about animals and about zookeeping. Like, was that something that was really important to you guys as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As we've mentioned many times in our podcast, there's just nothing better than connecting with like-minded people. Mm. And so conferences are perfect for that because there's just so many people sitting in one room, inspired just wanting to learn and network and just do better really within themselves and Mm. and for the animals. So for us, if we can just keep that going by having lots of learning when there's not conferences in terms of a podcast, that's perfect. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I know that when I started my podcast or started anything with regards to my business, I really struggled with imposter syndrome. Did you ever have like a bit of that or was it just let's do this for fun and see what happens? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Daisy's very well spoken and I kind of, I don't know, I feel like you might, might even notice on the podcast, I'm a bit like, yeah, that's cool. Like a bit more like here to have a good time, not necessarily particularly <laughs> um planned with my speech so I definitely get that imposter syndrome but I think it's good to remember that people aren't judging you they just want to learn and listen and enjoy it so the more relaxed you are the better it's going to come across anyway oh definitely and isn't there um that famous saying that's like someone doing more than you will like someone doing less than you is the person who criticizes or something that's like someone doing more than you will never criticize you so you shouldn't really be bothered by it 
Absolutely. And we're always so harsh on ourselves, hey? Like even after a recording, I'm like, oh, sorry, Daisy. I that was sentence was a bit weird. She's like, oh, I thought that, that sounded really good. And you're like, yeah, true. We're so harsh on ourselves. Yeah. And how do you guys fit it in around your busy schedule? Because, you know, we've had a lot of zookeepers on the podcast before. I'm a former keeper myself or trainer. Um, we work a lot of hours, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a very yes. demanding job. So how do you guys fit it in around your schedule? Honestly, I think I was a little bit naive <laughs> into what was involved in a podcast. I was like, that mm-hmm. sounds fun. Like one night a week, like an hour or so. Well, no, it's, as you would know, um, it's a lot of mm-hmm. planning, organizing, editing, uh yeah holy holy moly I don't really know how I fit it in um sometimes it's a bit overwhelming but you just make it work hey and you I've seen that you are you seem a bit like myself a bit too many fingers and too many pies but mm. you just kind of make it work hey <laughs> like to overcommit yes absolutely. <laughs> yeah we definitely made lives hard for ourselves with our podcasts because we decided to have guests every week um yeah so you need to like I my husband is always saying to me like oh you're recording a podcast that's great and I'm like yeah but you know that's an hour of my time that's the fun part <laughs> like the yes. sitting down and talking to people is the fun part but you don't see the like 25 unanswered emails that I've sent out to potential <laughs> guests who are like never gonna get back to me and then the ones that do we need to email back and forth for two weeks to find a time to sit down that works and then like you said you know the editing and everything so um I honestly think it's great and I commend both of you. Um, you know, I never would have been able to do a podcast while I was still, you know, working with animals. And I commend both of you for taking on this responsibility because it is so important to share these stories and, you know, tell in a more public way um, and also in like a personal way um, what we do and what we stand for. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's very sweet of you today uh, to say thank you. <laughs> No, you're welcome. And it's true. It's so true. And it's something that I really love as well. You know, when you see trainers or keepers or just animal professionals in general, really, you know, not necessarily sitting like face to face with the public, but being very kind of open and honest and just like, hey, this is what we're about. I feel like it comes across so much better and it's much better received than potentially you know, like a, a press statement or something from like a big corporation, you know, it brings that humanity back into it. Yes, I completely agree. It's a lot more heartfelt when it's um open conversation for sure. Yeah. And you're obviously very passionate about animals. You know, it's what you've literally dedicated your life and your career to. So um, where did that passion for wildlife first start for you? Thank you. Well, I honestly have always wanted to be uh, a zookeeper so I was a bit like yourself I wanted to do it from a young age and I was like well uh, I guess I'm just gonna make this work and I'm gonna make it happen so uh, I really stuck to my guns there I really wanted to work with animals from honestly like three four five years of age and uh, any opportunity to be immersed in them to be around them own them work around them um I did so it was uh definitely from a young age plan (laughs) yeah and what was the first animal you ever worked with uh I was actually like going back to like really young I was like 
um, doing pet sitting and and dog walking from a very young age. And then I didn't even own a car and I couldn't even drive. And I was doing a lot of rescue work with my local shelter. Like you could collect the animals and find injured animals and drop them off to vets and and carers. So that was probably the first real interactions. And then I um, worked at a little pet shop when I was younger too, um, which was actually really nice because they got a lot of puppies and kittens from the RSPCA. So it was a good way of um, still being involved in those shelters as well. So literally from the age of 14. <laughs> let's not, let's skirt around all the child labor laws there. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so wonderful. So when you kind of got into like your, your later teens, you know, you'd finished school and you were starting to think about, oh, I actually want to make, you know, working with animals my career. What was your first step? Well, I live very close to the sanctuary that I work at, um, Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary. And in high school, you have to plan, you know, what you want to do, what uni course and mm -hmm. what kind of pathway you want to take. And I literally wrote down on mine, I will work at Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary and I will be a zookeeper. And I, I just, love that. I made it happen. And I saw that piece of paper the other day. I was like, wow, go me. I really just wrote it down and I did it. I, <laughs> you I manifested it that. Yeah, honestly. Um, so you're not allowed to work with the animals or volunteer until you're 18. Mm -hmm. So I started off in the retail section. Um, so in the souvenir shop, selling plush toys, selling ice creams uh, and tickets. And then once I was 18, I, I was able to apply for a job with, with the animals. What was it like um, going into that you know, you're working in a zoo environment, but you're not necessarily working in the department you want to. I feel like for a lot of people that can get quite demotivating. Um, how did you view that for yourself? Were you like, hey, you know, I'm here, I'm networking, I'm making connections. This is my first step. How did you navigate that? Yes, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. You, you know, the grass is always green. I was enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely lovely to be in a sanctuary and working, um, amongst people and seeing all the animals but there was a difference for me for being in that section of the sanctuary and not the animal side so I just kind of viewed it as a stepping stone I was like well I need to let my face be seen become known amongst the people that I I wish to work with and and honestly it worked out because I worked really hard in the retail section and um I think that was uh, an easier way to be transferred into the sanctuary section or the animal section because I had done the um, the groundwork in the retail section. Uh, I also volunteered once I was 18 as well. So there was a lot of like, look how much I want this. Like mm. I, um, I'm now 18, I'm working four days a week then and then volunteering on my fifth with the animals. So mm. I was really, really trying to get in there. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, hard work pays off. Like it can be as simple as that. Um, did you ever consider working anywhere other than Lone Pine or were you very much like, nope, this is the facility that's close to home. This is where I grew up going. This is where I want to go. Um, I did do a lot of experience at other sanctuaries when I was a little bit younger. So there was like teen volunteer programs and that kind of thing, but they were a couple of hours away. So this was definitely uh, a convenience thing for me because it was so close to my family home and I already loved the sanctuary and visited a lot when I was younger so it was perfect for me it was like um 
a dream location and sanctuary. And what was it like when you finally got your first job and what position was it? I started off animal-wise as a koala keeper and I was just ecstatic. Like I remember uh, bugging the curator at the time being like, hey, I I would still really, really love to (laughs) work with the koalas. And I had at that stage started being a photographer so around the sanctuary so Mm -hmm. um it was kind of like another stepping stone getting my face known amongst the keepers because they'd seen me as a photographer so uh I just kept giving my cover letter to this poor curator and she's like yes sis yeah thanks sis and uh, I was like just letting you know um I'm turning 18 in two weeks so (laughs) if you're looking for any uh quality because I would love to do it and yes I was just ecstatic when I got that it was just a dream come true That's amazing. And um, for any of the listeners who aren't aware, me and my mom actually visited Lone Pine and did the the Meet the Koalas kind of experience while we were there. And Tess, I'll tell you right now, we had um, we had a time of it Uh, for whatever reason. The two me and my mom went through four koalas. (laughs) They just oh no. My mom had, um, there was one koala who I think had done like an interaction with a couple of other people and he was giving off the vibes of I'm kind of done. So before my mom got a photo taken, that koala had to go away and then she got a second koala and then that one would not come near me. I don't know why. He just did not want to. He just did not want to. And then we finally um, had the last one. And I remember the one I got to cuddle was Rory. Oh, Rory. I do love Rory. He was actually named after um, a friend of mine, Rory Keenan, who um, worked at the sanctuary. So oh, yeah, cute. well, maybe it was just meant to be, you know, there's other koalas yeah. like that. You got to meet Rory. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> um, you can meet the superstar. I can't remember what, who my mom, my mom got like, he was massive and he was like really dark. Yeah, I mean, they're all I'm sure, I, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of them, but... <laughs> Whoever you got, uh, I'm sure they were just special. And that's the thing too, like uh, they've just got such unique personalities. So Mm. um, that's sweet that you got to hold Rory. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember asking, you know, all of these questions to to the keeper that we did get, um, you know, like, how did you train them for this? Like, how do you desense them to all of these people? And I remember her telling me that um, are the koalas all trained to turn in one direction? To hug people? Uh, yeah, so there is a lot of um, training involved to get them comfortable in that environment. But um, yeah, if they would prefer to face the other way, that's easy. You just turn the human, turn the customer. Yeah. Like, all right, Rory <laughs> wants to look to the left today. Um, so let's, let's turn you around this way. So um, yeah, it's a pretty easygoing environment. <laughs> yeah. So how do you actually train, um, you know, koalas to be in that type of environment you know are they particularly food motivated do they like certain keepers better than others they're conditioned from a very young age and it's a lot of positive reinforcement so um obviously they love that delicious eucalyptus leaf so uh making that environment uh nice for them by having them positively reinforced by lots of lovely food and keeping sessions just really short and Mm. sweet and positive as well yeah and what would you say like I remember even when we were there you know you you see in the news or on social media there's a few people who are like oh you shouldn't like go and interact with the animals you know I come from the marine mammal side you know so I'm definitely pro animal interaction when it's done properly um 
would you do you feel like the koalas benefit from that do you think that it's good for their mental stimulation education of the guests inspiration etc uh I feel like there's a lot of talk about interactions with all animals be that yeah marine life uh raptors koalas you name it but at the end of the day um I think we can all agree that there needs to be a connection with the animal Mm -hmm. and um if there's any animal that needs our help it it would be koalas like the the numbers are in steep decline here in Australia so for someone to come to Lone Pine or come to a sanctuary and have any kind of connection with a koala be that just walking past um their habitat and just Mm. making eye contact or just seeing them munching on a leaf having a little pat while they're munching in a leaf um in a tree or that kind of thing and in a koala experience it's just incredible and those are the experiences that people remember and the fact that you've even remembered Rory's name for out four years later just it that even proves to me that that's the kind of connections that we want to make because if you don't care you wouldn't um do anything in terms of their conservation or spreading the love and their conservation conservation message really Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I've logged my whole day at Lone Pine. So if anyone's interested, head over to my YouTube and you can see our whole day, you know, the meeting the koalas, the raptor show, everything. Um, I should actually look back and see if you're in it. <laughs> to see you absolutely you should. We yeah, were talking about that. That. <laughs> yeah, we were talking before the recording, like, did we meet each other in person? Potentially. Um, yeah, I think I think I remember the name of the koalas will be in that. I think maybe my mom met a koala called Odin potentially I feel like it was like a very serious name I don't know who knows um could you tell our listeners a little bit about what some of the threats are um to koalas in Australia well obviously habitat loss is a big one uh we love to chop down our trees regardless of where we are in the world don't we Mm -hmm. but particularly uh here in Australia there's going to be a lot of new developments and the koalas and lots of other species are going to suffer. So mm-hmm. habitat destruction is a big one. Uh, predators are another one. Almost every Australian has a pet dog. So having dogs and cats uh, out at nighttime is another big threat. Uh, cars as well, due to habitat destruction, they're going to be crossing roads and looking for mates at certain times of year particularly if those distances have increased with habitat destruction and then they're going to be the victim of car strikes. So a lot of factors going on there and um, all combined obviously equates to less koalas, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, what are some of the ways that people can help? You know, I do have some listeners in Australia, so maybe there's some things that they can do in their daily lives. Well, driving carefully is a really big one. It's not only going to help koalas but so many of our animals here in Australia are crepuscular or um, active at dawn and dusk and so it's it's really important just to keep that in the back of your mind mm. that whatever the speed limit is or just have it in the back of your mind I'm when I'm driving at night or dawn and dusk I'm just like look out for possums look out for possums look out for all of these <laughs> like I'm like ch- like singing to myself and just scanning the road and just being a vigilant driver so that's a really important one um, and it honestly sounds so um, easy to do, but we just don't do it. But just planting native trees in our backyard, it's its really not that hard. And yet 
we we all don't do it but um I think going to your local nursery and purchasing a couple of eucalyptus trees or native plants even if it's not for koalas it could be other little possums and birds that you would like to encourage to your garden and just making a little area designated to natives is just such a helpful thing for our wildlife yeah I love that and they're all such achievable steps that people can take yeah absolutely pretty easy so you worked with koalas for how long I worked with koalas uh, for a couple of years and then I um, got a position in macropods. So I then worked with macropods for a couple of years as well and then got a raptor position. So I had a few sections on the go, um, which was great. A lot of variety and uh, a lot of different taxa there and then was full-time raptors and I've been full-time raptors ever since. What really captured your attention with regards to the raptors I've always loved birds uh in saying that I've loved all animals really uh I've not really been to like yep this is what I need to work with and that's it like you and your um, orcas (laughs) but I really really enjoyed the training element of working with raptors and I've always loved loved birds so it was kind of like wow this is this is great having that free flight element Mm. being uh, with these beautiful birds and such intelligent species as well to top it off is just yeah it's awesome so it really took the cake for me do you feel like working with birds of prey really helped you to hone your animal training skills oh yeah absolutely uh I feel like I didn't I didn't really understand it and maybe didn't have uh, enough knowledge or um, yeah accessible information when I was a, when I was a bit younger and doing it firsthand with the Raptors is, has been incredible. So yeah, the last few years my knowledge has just blossomed and it's it's awesome. We're always learning, but I definitely have learned a lot in the last few years working with Raptors. Oh, definitely. And at Lone Pine, you guys do a Birds of Prey presentation where um, you have multiple different species coming out and you guys obviously teach the guests about them, how to protect them, you know, their physiology, etc. So you work with not just one species of bird, you work with many. Do you need to adapt your training techniques between each of them? Are they significantly different? Well, Birds of prey or raptors specifically in our free flight demonstrations, we have two a day. They're very food focused and very intelligent and very motivated as well. So intelligent, food focused, like it's just a great combination of things there. Um, So it does make our work a little bit easier. But in saying that, you do need to keep in mind um, different hunting styles, different motivators and different um antecedents for that training as well so if you have an owl flying obviously you need to be a little bit more aware of larger birds flying over it could be something like a pelican flying over during uh an owl's free flight and they're like oh you know and they're worried about that and they focus on Mm. that whereas if it was your falcon flying or an eagle they wouldn't I was going to say bat an eyelid. They wouldn't. They wouldn't <laughs> notice it at all. So there's there's things like that that um, you need to keep in mind depending on the species that is um, free flying. 
Yeah. And do you have a favorite species of bird that you work with? I honestly change my answer every time someone asks me. (laughs) I think on the Train Talks and Sales podcast, I've said a different species every couple of weeks. I think (laughs) I really do love owls, but at the moment I'm really enjoying working with kites. They're very inquisitive and intelligent. And do you have a favorite bird? Yes, there's one specific individual which, you know, we shouldn't technically have favorites, but there's a beautiful barking owl called Bo and she's just incredible. <laughs> you probably met her. I think I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I she's... think so. I think so. Um, I feel like birds as well, especially raptors, you know, they're so striking to look at. They're definitely up there with the types of animals that can really inspire people, which is why I think it's so important that we still keep Um, you know, that element of kind of educational presentation, really showing off their skills. You've mentioned the free flight there. Um, How do you train um, something like free flight or the falconry, et cetera, in Birds of Prey? Yeah, I would agree. Um, Touching on that, with the birds that we have in our show too, more than half have come in with injuries um, or have been uh, unreleasable for for certain reasons. So that, that really is important to have that message and share that message in our free flight shows um but we're not allowed to do proper falconry in australia so the techniques that we might be using so flying our peregrine falcons for example are just the tools that you would use so we have like a lure which is a piece of leather attached to a bit of rope um, and we swing this and this would be uh a training tool for the falcons to practice seizing the lure and it can be used as a method of retrieving the falcon afterwards or basically just um, getting them to a level of fitness necessarily to be able to to um, hunt real birds. Is there a reason why you're not allowed to do falconry in Australia? Uh, we have a lot of laws uh, surrounding prey and live prey so in terms of um, fairness on the prey animals so we can't feed out live prey to our animals in zoos and sanctuaries so yeah a bit of um legislation revolving that okay i mean i'm i'm not i've never worked with birds of prey i literally have no idea what i'm talking about like i don't even know what traditional falconry like encompasses do you (laughs) can you explain it yeah (laughs) Yeah, certainly. So in other countries, uh, obviously, you can own a hawk, own a falcon, own an eagle, and you will be able to use that to hunt for food and be that ducks and quails and and that kind of thing. Uh, So here in Australia, we are not allowed to use those raptors in terms of hunting live prey but we can certainly use the the same tools uh like lures and uh the only way that you can have a raptor or um a bird of prey is if you are a private exhibitor so perhaps you have these birds and will go to schools and um will educate the public or example a sanctuary or a zoo that's right. the only way that you're allowed to um legally own these birds Okay. And what about the flea, the flea, flea flight training, the free, (laughs) the free flight training? Yes. So, uh, what, sorry, what's your question? What about it? Like how, how do you train 
free flight and your birds like obviously I assume there's a lot of you know high value reinforcement that you guys keep with you and avoid distractions I suppose yeah obviously it's a very small steps at the start and Mm -hmm. this would be just introducing to a glove making sure that they're comfortable sitting on a leather glove um, building rapport and it's just as you would expect really so you could start by doing flights in their aviary and increasing that distance and to the extent that you can no longer do any more flights in that space and then the next step is to have them outside so you just plonk them on a post or a fence or some kind of area that they're comfortable just at the start we'll ask for really small chunks like 30 centimeter jumps one meter increasing that every day lots of repetition lots of positive reinforcement Mm -hmm. until you get to a point where you can really increase it and um after obviously lots of exposure to different things outside is a very different environment to uh, a big aviary where there's a nice roof and there's branches and shelter and safety and comfort so an outside ex- um, environment will be entailing lots of exposure to different things other birds other noises other animals guests coming over uh, all that you would imagine for a bird to experience in that experience in that uh, capacity definitely and to what extent does relationship between keeper and birds play a role it's species dependent really obviously it's really important to have that rapport with the birds that we're free flying but depending on their upbringing and obviously individuals personalities as well it it can depend so our owls for example have been hand raised they've been born in zoos and sanctuaries they're so sweet they're so accepting if anyone puts a glove on they're like woohoo I'm coming over and you better have my mouse ready. So uh, they're very easygoing, whereas other species like our kites, our falcons, our eagles, if you put a glove up and they don't know you, they're like, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I love I love that. Like, it, obviously, there's some individual differences within species as well. But I love that, you know, I feel like for most species, you can kind of categorize it. I always, the famous saying um, that I've heard a lot of marine mammal trainers say is like, dolphins are like dogs killer whales are like cats so you know (laughs) dolphins do really really well with the general public you know if you have a toy if you have some ice if you have even if you're just standing there a dolphin will come over and be like hey what's going on like what are we gonna do whereas a killer whale will literally be like even a trainer that they know could be standing there with a bucket full of fish and they'll be like "Mm, not today and leave (laughs) yes so yeah I absolutely love that Yes, that sounds like uh, exactly exactly case in point. The the owls are like, yeah, cool, sounds good. <laughs> and uh, eagles will need to need to know you a little bit first for sure. Yeah. Well, Tess, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us and sharing all about your experience with raptors and with koalas and zookeeping in Australia. It's been amazing. Uh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you. And if anyone does want to listen into some episodes of Trainer Talks and Tales, where can they find that? Uh, you can access us on Instagram and Facebook at Trainer Talks and Tales. And there's a link on my Instagram as well. Amazing. Tess, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you, Hazel. Have a good day. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.